five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, second Alabama scrimmage is now in the books. We got 8A coming up this Saturday. First of all, how you doing on this Monday morning? And secondly, what did you think about some of the reports that were coming out of the scrimmage? Yeah, uh, I'm doing great. You know, this is the last two weeks, and I say it's, it's the last two weeks of football for a while, right? Because we get uh, the buildup to 8A, which I love, and 8A, the most game-like day we get. That's the, until the season. And then the week after a day, we get the NFL draft and Clint and I love the draft. And that's a great football week too. But then the long three month wait until fall camp starts. So uh, I'm really going to uh, enjoy these next two weeks. My thoughts on the scrimmage. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say exactly what coach Saban said, which is, you know, when you make a good play on offense, you're also giving up something on defense, but, but that is so true. Uh, what, what I'm looking forward to Saturday is everybody seeing it for themselves, you know, on a day, because I think everyone's going to have different takes and different opinions, but in terms of what uh, stood out to me, Clint, as, as opposed to the first scrimmage, it sounds to me like defense was a, had a better day. I think the defense overall uh, got turnovers, which they didn't in the first scrimmage and they're slightly healthier, you know, a couple guys back Kool-Aid was back. Boyd B plays more, you know, um, you know, so, so, you know, they got, they got a couple guys back, a couple guys that are young, like an Earl Little, for instance, started in the first scrimmage and that now he's not a veteran, but, but he started in the scrimmage for now. It's his second start, you know, out there at the star position. So uh, I, I think a little, you know, week older defense, a little better, but I think all in all, what most everyone's going to be interested in this week leading up to Saturday, Clint, is the quarterbacks. Yes, 100%. I mean, it's, it's the quarterback battle. It's it's what's on everybody's mind. Granted, there's a ton of other stuff going on, uh, but we'll start with the quarterbacks because that is the big hot topic. And, and it's caused kind of some controversy because when you hear about the stats, we didn't see the stats, but when you hear about them coming out of you know the scrimmage, quarterbacks threw a couple of interceptions, made some good plays, you know, as far as the the defenders made some good plays in some of those instances. Other times, you know, you hear that maybe it wasn't the correct read or the correct decision. That's going to happen. But, you know, at the same time, people can take those interceptions and they can run with it like it was the quarterback's fault. And that's not always the case. And I don't know how many times you got to see that not be the case for you to learn just because you hear a quarterback through an interception or through two interceptions or whatever the case ends up being. That doesn't mean necessarily that the quarterback had a bad day. From what I heard, Jalen Milrow made some really good throws, and he had a couple of throws, not really the interception, but you know, a couple of other throws where maybe he was a little bit off as far as his accuracy and stuff like that. But just what were your thoughts on the quarterbacks, Jimmy? Yeah, I think with with Milrow, in terms of what we've seen out of Milrow, uh, you know, I, I guess the, you know, I'm not a quarterback coach. I, I think the best way to describe it is I think Milrow's going to, until he grows out of it, if he ever does, until he grows out of it, he's going to have an issue with what I call misfires. Now, I think some of it comes from having so much arm strength that balls can float on him. 
he can also overthrow. I think guys with really big arms that overthrow the ball end up with worm burners, <laughs> you know. And, and I think with Milro, uh, is you know, it's some like a pitcher analogy. I mean, I think the best way to describe, I mean, what 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 I still think we're going to be getting out of Milro is this: is you know, the the first two hitters, you know, he's facing high level batters, and the first two hitters hopelessly strike out. They had no chance. They were overpowered by this freak pitcher and there's no chance. And then the third hitter in the inning, he walks on four straight because there wasn't a ball within a foot of the strike zone or he, he centered one up and, and hit it 420 feet over the center field wall because there was a fastball right in the middle of the plate belt high. Uh, and, and I think that's what you kind of get with Milro until he grows out of his misfire. It's like, how can you be so good on so many throws in a row and then do that? But, you know, and I, I call it misfires. It's just from not being consistently accurate. Now, those that don't think, oh, he's not an accurate passer, you're just you're 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 too impatient or you're wrong. He is very accurate at times or even on a majority of throws. I just think with Jalen Milrow, there's always going to be a battle of consistency. And that's what we saw, you know, last fall with Ty. I think with him, it's always been a speed of the game thing, which is Ty did not play much last season at all. And he's coming from a, an area or his high school competition that wasn't exactly what a Dylan Lonergan faced, you know, in, in, in the Atlanta Perimeter League, which is as good as, you know, outside the perimeter Atlanta, it's probably as good a high school football as played anywhere in the United States. And, and that's who Lonergan's playing against nothing but future college players Whereas Ty, you know, coming from a, a league where where it's rare that he's playing against anyone that's going to play in the SEC. So I think with Ty, it's a matter of catching up to the speed of things. And with Milrow, it's developing consistency because occasionally Milrow is really good. So we'll find out this Saturday, Clint, if Milrow has gained consistency and if Ty has caught up to the speed of the SEC. Yeah, I think what ends up happening in these situations is it's kind of like Alabama has the obstacle of overcoming other Alabama teams when it comes to the college football playoff and the way that they're perceived. Like last year, everybody compared Alabama, you know, previous Alabama, the 2020 Alabama team, the defense, how does it stack up against the 2011 defense? Uh, it's something that happens pretty much at every position. And I think that or whether it be position or team, it's certainly something that happens often. It's something that other teams don't have to really deal with. No one's comparing 2022 TCU to 2020 Alabama. Like that doesn't happen. That's not an obstacle that they have to overcome. It's the same thing for Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. You're being compared to the three previous quarterbacks, and that is Tua Tungvaloa, number five overall pick, Mac Jones, number 15 overall pick, and Bryce Young, which is probably going to be either the number one or number two overall draft pick. Three straight first round, top half of the first round quarterback selected, and now you're being compared to that, but it's not just from a talent and draft perspective. It's also, you know, what, what what's something that Tua, Mac, and Bryce all had in common? Very accurate quarterbacks. Ball placement was very consistent. They were all sitting up there in the high 60 percentile, low 70 percentile as far as their completion percentage. And just because they won that way doesn't mean that you have to win that way. 
Like there are quarterbacks that are completing 62, 63, 64% of their, their passes, but they have other ways of winning. When you add that rushing dynamic to your game, or, you know, you can make a lot of plays off script and things like that. The big pop plays can certainly, it's really, to me, it's about avoiding turnovers. That's key in everything, but especially at a place like Alabama, like you don't have to be Superman. I think the last couple of years, Bryce was asked to be Superman at times, but that's not something that you should have to really do. And I think with them working to improve other areas, you know, Milro or Ty Simpson, neither one have to do that. And so it's, you know, you're not going to get the same level of accuracy and ball placement that you got with the three previous quarterbacks if it ends up being Jalen Milrow. I do think accuracy and ball placement is a strength of Ty Simpson. And if this was Bill O'Brien, you know, if he was still around, I think that just his comfort with that, maybe Ty Simpson would have an advantage. But I also think that with Tommy Reese, you know, he's dealt with the mobile quarterbacks that are not as accurate as other guys. And so I think that, you know, that certainly plays into the mix as well. Uh, Let's talk about the running backs, though. Justice Haynes in particular. Jimmy, what do you think about this guy? Haynes, uh, I I don't like being the the the, the fan or, or or the journalist that's uh, that's that's crowning someone before he's played in the game. I think that's dangerous. I've I've done that in the past and been really wrong. But I think I, I like to you know base it on evidence and 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 I look at the evidence. And this Saturday we'll see it with our own eyes. The evidence is that Justice Haynes is going to be a superstar. Uh, for, for, from recruiting, from who w- wanted to sign him, from his tape, from the fact, what I was just talking about, Lonergan's competition, from the fact that Haynes was doing it against the the, the outside the perimeter Atlanta high school football's best in the, in the country, and Haynes was incredibly productive against the best co- high school competition possible. And then he comes to Alabama and he gets Nick Saban saying what Saban said. Saban just doesn't dole out praise to freshmen who haven't played, but he is with this guy. So I, I'm I'm buying the stock. I'm jumping on the train before it's left the station, and it may already have. But a couple of things, though, in addition to that, I think Jan Miller gets lost in the discussion a little bit. And I think Jan Miller, the Jan Miller I saw last season for a true freshman was exceptional. I think he's going to be exceptional this season, now one year better. And what Alabama has, it's not a problem. This is this is the problem everybody wants to have. You've got older veterans in Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams who are good, and you've got less experienced kids who, who are probably great, you know, better than Jace and Roydell in terms of 10 years from now we're going to say, Okay, who were the best running backs in that running back room at Alabama in 2023? The answer is Justice and Jam and not Jason Roydell. But Jason Roydell are good. I mean, it's it's a great situation. Jason Roydell sort of holding down the f- until Jam and Justice are totally ready to take over. But I can't help but wonder. I know a lot of great stories you do on uh, on Bama Insider, Clint. You know, one of the things that you'll you you talk about is you know the you know the carry share. You know, I mean, who who's getting the touches and what share? I I think it's something that's going to morph over the course of the season, and I think there's every reason in the world for Jason Roydell to play a really big role in September, and in November it might be the Jam and Justice show. Uh, but I know this: all four of those guys are good players. Alabama can win with any of the four, or all four. 
but probably the most gifted kid in that room is Justice Haynes, who's, who's a bit of a Mark Ingram clone, uh, and, and Jam Miller. But but for all the excitement about Justice, don't forget about Jam. He's too good. Jam's really good. I, I'm, 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 I'm confident. He had Kansas State run, was so good in the Sugar Bowl at the end of that game. Uh, so I'm excited about what Alabama's got at running back, and in particular as Justice and Jam get more experience. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And people's got to understand this is not the same thing as like a quarterback battle, right? Like the the decision that Nick Saban had that took him forever to kind of replace Jalen Hurts with Tua Tungavaloa was the fact that there's one spot, you know, right? You're not rotating quarterbacks. That You see that every once in a while. It very rarely works. Uh, it, it's more out of necessity because you can't generate offense in other ways, which is where you see that, or you have a true competition, but by, you know, games one and two, you need to be figuring that stuff out and you need to roll with just one guy at running back. It, you know, you can have Jace be the starter all year and and he can still get a significant workload. But then when you look at the collective unit as a whole at the end of the year, Oh wait, justice Haynes ended up leading the team in carries uh, or touches or whatever then ends up being the case. And yet he wouldn't consider the starting running back. So you leave the respect factor for the veteran guy, the senior and Jace McClellan or Roydell Williams in the mix. But then you also can get some other guys involved. It's the same at receiver. It's the same with the defensive line. Like James Smith, more than likely, he's not going to be a starter at all this year. But he is probably going to play a lot. And who knows, by the end of the year, he might be the second most effective defensive lineman that they have. And yet he's still not a starter. I mean, Lucas Van Ness is a defensive end for Iowa. That cat never started at Iowa. They, they are, I was huge on the seniority factor. And even though he is probably going to be a first round draft pick, maybe even a top 16 pick, he was never a quote unquote starter throughout his college career. But yet he was by far the best defensive lineman that Iowa had this past year. And so that's kind of, you know, he didn't have to be a starter and be the guy out there for the first snap to make a huge significant impact. And that's what I want to point out to people. Justice might not be Alabama's starting running back this year, but I think he is probably going to be the most effective, and he couldn't end up having the largest workload or at least a significant workload. And I do want to talk about what Nick Saban actually had to say and read it for people that didn't get a chance to, to hear it yet. Uh, after the scrimmage, Saban said, Justice has had a great spring. He's a really good player. He's a really mature guy. He's really smart. Nothing's really too big for him. He goes out there and competes, and if you were just a guy sitting on a log watching, you would never know that he's a freshman. So he's a very talented guy. He can make cuts. He can make you miss. He's got some power, good speed. He's a good receiver. So he's done a really, really good job all spring. Now, there's three words to me, Jimmy, that stand out in that entire statement. Mature, smart, and competes. And I think that you can talk about the cuts, the power, the vision, the receiving ability, all that stuff is great. And it's and, and all of that natural ability and talent is going to help get Justice Haynes on the field. But those three words are what's going to go, make him go from being good to being great. And I love that Nick Saban's already pointing that we've already heard about, you know, Haynes' work ethic. That's something that was evident in high school. It's something that we heard about when he got to Alabama back in, you know, December and the team was preparing for Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. And it's something that's continued. And so his work ethic, his maturity, the fact that he just gets it between the years, the fact that he's competitive, and the fact that, you know, I love that Nick Saban specifically used, nothing seems to be too big for him. And that's something that you hear a lot when you're talking about quarterbacks and moments. Hearing that to describe a running back, I thought was a little bit different and really interesting. 
And I think it speaks to the volume of just how good Justice Haynes is going to be. I think with, without saying it, because he said so much, like, well, what else did he say? I think with, I think we just know as fans are recruiting and we watch his tape that with the ball in his hands, Haynes is ready to play. He's ready to play. And he's ready to play well. But as with most freshman backs, it's about the little things, ball security, picking up blitzes, making yourself available as a receiver, knowing when to chip the defensive end and knowing when to release in the flat, knowing all that stuff. There's a learning curve. It's stuff you didn't need to know in high school that you got to know to play college football. And it sounds to me, Clint, as Nick Saban's telling us, yeah, that's normally what we worry about with freshmen, but we ain't worried about this guy. He, We ain't worried about him. He, he showed up doing the small things. And while Nick didn't say that, he sort of said it, right? And I'm right there with you. You know, it's not necessarily, I've, I'll reiterate, it's not that we're saying that Justice Haynes is going to be Alabama's starting running back, even though that is possible. I won't completely rule that out. You you never know. I mean, if, if he's working hard, if he's doing all the little things, you know, you look back to that 2018 group, and a lot of people judge Josh Jacobs, you know, as far as NFL draft eva- evaluators, because he didn't get, or he wasn't the starter, and he didn't see the most touches. And it's like, okay, if he was the best running back, why is that the case? Well, you know, Damian Harris had chose to come back for his senior season. Nick Saban wasn't going to put that guy on the bench. You know, he was going to make sure that he stayed involved. He gave him the respect of making him the starting running back. But anybody that watched games that year knew Josh Jacobs was the best running back when Allen was roster. It, granted, it ended up being Najee Harris. But I'm saying at the time, Harris was still relatively young. He was only a sophomore. And there was this balancing act between you had Damian Harris who was a veteran guy who was productive. It's not like Nick Saban is sacrificing a ton of productive and effectiveness by having Damian Harris on the field, right? I mean, and and so as long as that's not the case, seniority is going to play a significant role. But then you also had Najee Harris, who was also not a liability whatsoever. He was still effective when he was out there. So you had this balancing act between Damian Harris being a senior, returning for his final season when he was already projected to go in the same range he ended up going in, and, you know, you didn't want to it, – it's a bad – I mean, imagine trying to make the pitch if you're Nick Saban to another player who's has the opportunity to leave early because he's not a day one draft pick. And, you know, that player comes back and says, yeah, coach, you know, you're, you're telling me to come back to help me improve my draft stock or whatever. But you said the same thing to Damian Harris last year, and he ended up getting benched for Josh Jacobs, and then his draft stock was hurt. Like, that's never something that you want to happen. So – he was balancing that with the fact that Najee Harris potentially could, you know, there were rumors following his freshman season that he wanted to leave. So you had to make sure you were getting him involved to get him touches. And that's where you found this situation where Josh Jacobs maybe didn't get the workload that other top quality NFL running backs in college got, but he still ended up being a first round draft pick and he's been one of the better running backs in the NFL. So it obviously didn't affect him a ton. I could see something very similar with Justice Haynes in the way that this running back group is viewed. And it's the same thing with Jam Miller. I think Jam Miller's got a ton of talent as well. He's right in that mix as well, but just something to keep in mind. Next, we'll talk about the receivers because a lot of back and forth between the ones and the twos. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on all the guys who are involved in that competition? It's deep with 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 contributors. It's deep with contributors. I think we know Jermaine Burton's going to be a first rotation guy. We know Ja'Cory Brooks is. Uh, nothing's changed. Bond, Prentice, when I hear Kendrick Law plays significant snaps, and, and I think we're going to see a lot of Law on Saturday. 
Uh, and that's fine. That's not a surprise at all based on, on what happened last year, particularly as the season went on. We know he's got a lot of toughness and how much Nick Saban likes that. But, but, but Law, Prentice, Bond, Burton, Brooks. I think Malik Benson is the guy I most look forward to seeing on Saturday in a real game-type situation because Benson is the guy that I, I hope sort of leads Alabama back to being kind of where they were, uh, you know, prior to last season or even prior to 2021, uh, just having a, a waves of guys who can make plays, uh, consistency with this group, getting open, playmaking, drop balls not being an issue. Drop balls have been too much of an issue the last couple of years with this group, not so much with Jamison and J-Mo, but I mean, J-Mo and Metch, but, you know, last year's group, law, you know, dropped too many balls, uh, didn't get open enough. I, I still worry about the wide receiver group. Not so much that we don't have the right personnel, but it, it sort of gets back to what I was saying about Milrow and the consistency. You know, uh, there, there's uh, uh, the, the, and since the quarterbacks are new, they need to rely on that wide receiver group. And they weren't reliable a year ago. So it's fair to worry, but I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. And it starts with Benson. Because if Benson lives up to what we're hearing and he can be wide receiver one, then that's a lot of pressure off of, of Burton. It's a lot of pressure off of Brooks. They can be more role players, which is probably ideally what they are. And then you have the exciting young players in Law and Prentice, who caught 31 balls last year. Prentice is going to be good. I think Bond's going to be good, uh, you know, but there, there's probably a drop issue. You know, Bond's got to become more consistent in terms of making a play. The clay is all there. Everything you'd want in a receiver, Bond's got. But like most young players, I don't know that he's put it all together yet. But Benson's presence allows Bond the time to do that. You're, you know, you're not – if Bond's the fourth guy, the fifth guy, the sixth guy, and 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 every now and then has a consistency problem, it's not killing you. But I, I like just the addition of Benson dramatically improving that room. And a guy we never talk about that we probably should is Emmanuel Henderson. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see on Saturday – if they find a role for him, because he's probably too good to just be sitting there on the bench. I mean, that's what I have a really hard time with because, you know, I've told people, I've, I've said on the show, I've said in articles, if anything, I think Alabama should, you know, kind of condense their the, the number of wide receivers that they use. I feel like that the less wide receivers you use, the easier time they have of building chemistry with your quarterback. If you've got six or seven guys, you know, all receivers, and we're not even talking about running backs and tight ends, who are all in the mix, uh, the, you know, that's a lot of different players for the quarterback to have to build chemistry with. It's less reps going around for certain guys. And granted, if you've got a deep group, that's great, but that's just, I think quarterback wide receiver chemistry is very important. And so I, I've made the argument that they need to condense the receiving room as far as the the rotation. Uh, but the problem is, is then you start looking at it, you're like, okay, who are you taking out? And I can't come up with anybody. I really can't. In fact, I would kind of I lean towards what you're saying, where Emmanuel Henderson, based off of what we've heard, and you know, on some of them plays, I think the the pass breakup by Caleb Downs in the end zone. I don't know if it was the second team. I can't remember. It might have been, but I know Emmanuel Henderson was out there, and you know, you hear good things about what he's been able to to do as far as his growth and his work ethic. And Nick Saban wants to reward good work ethic, 
So I don't know really what to make of of the wide receiver room. I know that it's talented. And I, I we've talked about, you know, Malik Benson and the impact that he's going to make and the fact that not only is he going to open up more for himself and he's going to, you know, open up things for the quarterback, but he's also going to create opportunities for other receivers. Um, and so I think that's really big. Yeah, uh, one, yeah, one thing I would look, look to Saturday, Clint, that I think sort of big about the impact of Benson, wide receivers having big days, that doesn't happen all the time, even if you're a great, great player. I mean, I don't even know that even in the NFL, I mean, we all know Smitty's great, but do we pencil him down for six catches and 110 yards every single Sunday? I mean, no, that's that's unrealistic. But so the point is, I think what will impress me Saturday about Malik Benson, just myself, I know this is a low standard, but if Malik Benson trots out there with the with the first team, which is the white offense, the white offense, the first team, if Benson trots out there with Brooks and Burton, that's really all I need to know. Because that means he's jumped over everybody. He jumped over that, that impressive group of freshmen. He jumped over Henderson. He jumped over Prentice. He jumped over Bond. And he's out there with the seniors, you know, Brooks and Burton. I don't need Benson to have six catches and 94 yards on Saturday to prove to me that he's really good. Just being with Brooks and Burton, now I know what he's he he's impressed the heck out of the coaches. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great way to look at it. And I mean, one thing for that fans need to understand, it, it's kind of like that play that got leaked, you know, a couple of days ago. The 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 touchdown pass to Amari Numblack, right? The receiver, which was Isaiah Bond, cleared out the safety. Not only was he carrying his cornerback across the, the middle of the field, but he also carried the safety as well, which is what allowed Amari Nablack on the wheel route to get a one-on-one matchup, and he was able to win that matchup and catch the touchdown. This is the kind of thing that fans need to be looking for with Malik Benson. It's not just about what he's able to do when he gets thrown the football and, and, and all that stuff. That's all, all very important, don't get me wrong, but it's what is he providing for other guys by running the correct routes, by doing things the right way. Other teams might not know what Alabama has in Malik Benson yet, even though I think a lot of them have a pretty good idea. Alabama knows what Alabama has in Malik Benson. And so when they're scrimmaging against him, if they're if the defenders are giving him a lot of extra attention, if he's able to carry, you know, the, the safety and 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 all those things, it speaks well to the respect that the defense, which is, you know, led by Nick Saban and Kevin Steele, it speaks volumes as far as the respect they have for Benson and his ability to kind of create. If you give him the opportunity, which will, you know, if you try to take that away, it's going to create opportunities for others. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, we'll move on to the tight ends because I did find it interesting. Nick Saban talked about a lot of improvement happening with this group. CJ Dupree in particular, he said he's done a really good job. Said he was dealing with an ankle sprain or a foot sprain, something like that, uh, which we did notice in a practice clip a couple of weeks ago. It looked like Dupree was a little bit hampered running a route, but Saban said, you know, he can do all the things that you would ask of a tight end. He can play in the C area, which is really your, you know, your inline tight end. He could be an H back type of blocker. He can split out wide. He played a lot of inline for Maryland, but we've talked a lot about his overall skill set. And we both feel like that he has the ability to, you know, split out wide and flex more than you saw at Maryland. Seems Nick Saban agrees with us. Yeah, it's a good group. It's not like there's a star there. I don't expect Dupree to be a star any more than Cam Latu was a star. Latu's good. I mean, we're going to find out next, probably Friday or Saturday. <laughs> Latu's a pro football player. He's good. I, I, I like 
the mix and match part, the, you know, it's, it's a unique position where you kind of have to be a tackle and you kind of have to be a receiver. And Alabama's got a couple of guys that kind of like a tackle Dupree, you know, Kitzelman, uh, uh, Daniel Lewis, who's, who's, I think, I think Daniel Lewis has been more noisy this spring than anticipated. He's a guy, if you follow my spring roster rankings, by the way, uh, that, that, that'll be updated after the spring, Lewis is going to be a mover. Uh, uh, I, I think, you know, those are, those are kind of bigger bodied guys. And then you got the receiver type in, in the black. And now we've seen him on the leaked play, as you talk about, uh, seen him in, in the videos and the photos with the, fir- with the first team a lot. Last year, we didn't see that in the games very much. Uh, I think he's benefited from Robbie Oost being out all spring uh, in terms of getting more reps. But I like what Alabama can do in terms of mixing and matching. You don't ever want it to be a tell. You know, hey, when Dupree's in, they're going to run it. When the Black's in, they're going to throw it. You know, you, you can't you can't be that predictable. But uh, I, I I think the tight end is a plus position for Alabama. I think it's it's an overall asset to the team. It would be nice for Alabama to find their their own Brock Bowers. That's that's probably not going to happen with this particular tight end room. But if you don't have that. You know, I, I think you can still get a lot of positive production out of mixing it and matching the the number of pieces that they have. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I did. So the the leaked play was that from the first scrimmage because it was in Bryant Denny Stadium. So I'm assuming that it was. That's a guess on my part, but absolutely that would be my guess because I don't believe they practice in Bryant Denny other than those scrimmages, and it obviously was prior to this past Saturday. So. I'm thinking that was uh, the first scrimmage for sure. Yeah, I, I think I think so too. I do want to point out now. Granted, very small sample size could just be a coincidence. But Jimmy, um, who was the target on that on that play that was leaked? Nablack, Amari Nablack, Amari Nablack. Who was the target in the clip that was released of Caleb Downs getting the pass breakup in the end zone? Amari Nablack. So just want to point that out. Red area, big body, 6'4", 233. Uh, he's getting a lot of usage down there, it would seem. And that's an area that we both have talked about uh, that we really feel like in the black can help this offense, right? Like when you get down there, do you got guys who can be mismatched nightmares and create opportunities for your offense? And I'm thinking Mario in the black, at least in that area. Now, granted, I also think he's a between the 20s kind of guy as well. Granted, doesn't mean that he's going to get a ton of usage there, but even if you're flexing him out, and granted, you know, I, I, he was playing tight end in line uh, in both snaps, on both snaps, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, just something that I, that I think people should keep in mind is that it just so happens that both scrimmages, you know, a, a clip that's leaked has seen a red zone target go to Amari into black. And I just found that interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and again, it's the usage, right? I mean, we can even guess without knowing that. Probably Dupree played more snaps with the first team than Amari did, but that's using Amari what he does best, you know, and, and that that's that's what this tight end room can have. It can have a really quality blocker in CJ and a real quality receiver in Amari. You just have to use them smartly. You, it can't ever be a tell, you know, you can't make it that obvious for the defense. There's other players too. I think Danny Lewis might be even a little bit better in, in terms of like, hey, he's a good blocker. He's also a pretty good receiver. Robbie Oose, 
he's an H kind of move tight end, but but he's also a really good blocker outside the tackle box area, you know, outside on the screens and 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 in space. Robbie's a, a good blocker for weirdly, he's better at that than he is in line. So uh I, I think between those guys, Oos and 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 Nablack and and Dupree and Lewis, that's four tight ends that you can mix and match and have fun with. And, and, and one more point to make about tight ends. We know Tommy Reese likes his tight ends. He had one of the best tight ends in the world and Michael Mayer up at uh, Notre Dame last year. Uh, Alabama brings in Ken Wisenhunt uh, from the NFL to be on the offensive support staff. He's a lifetime tight end guy. I mean, you know, he's kind of a tight end guru, they say. So is uh, McNulty, the, the the Boston College offensive coordinator, also on the offensive staff. For most of his career, he's coached tight ends. I, I, I think there's a lot of evidence that while it's not necessarily going to be a featured position at Alabama, it's going to be a big reason the offense works. So uh, I, I'm I'm curious to see the tight ends this upcoming Saturday. I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of 81 Dupree. But in terms of pass catching, uh, I think 80, 84 might be coming around. The one knock that I would say for Cameron Latou was his perimeter blocking. Yeah. Alabama used him in that way quite a bit because you don't want to be limited in what you ask your tight ends to do. You know, you've got situations where Robbie Oots, good perimeter blocker, can be a decent inline blocker, is a reliable pass catcher but he's not going to create anything after the catch. Like where he catches the football is where the football is at. With Cameron Latou, even though he was used in line, he was flexed out wide, he was it was thrown passes, he could create a lot of yardage after the catch, and he was used as a perimeter blocker. The lack of being able to, to be a perimeter blocker really hindered the offense because you wanted to use him in this way where the defense didn't really know what he was going to be doing, and that's what kind of Alabama forced but then he couldn't get the job done in one certain aspect. And then you're looking at situations where it's like second nine or second 11 or whatever, because he wasn't able to get his block out on the perimeter on some kind of screen. And, you know, that hurts the offense. If he could have just added that one aspect to his game, it would have made him a lot better of a player, but it would have made Alabama's offense a lot better. I don't think people realize just how much, you know, that little wrinkle can add. With CJ Dupree, if he's a good perimeter blocker, I think he's a much more dynamic presence at tight end than Robbie Utes. I don't think he's quite as dynamic necessarily as far as creating yardage after the catch as a Cameron Latou, but I think he's a much better receiver and he can do more for you as a receiver than Robbie Utes. But if he can bring the perimeter blocking ability while also being able to provide a quality inline option, now you're able to do all these different things with him, which Nick Saban talked about, and he's effective enough at all of them where he's not a liability. I, I guess the way to put it is Latou at times was a liability. And one of the things that he was asked to do and it hindered the offense a little bit, it wasn't like it was detrimental, but it did, you know, you can be a lot more effective when you can get those, all the little things done correctly. Uh, so want to point that out as well. Um, Jimmy, we got just a couple of minutes left. We'll talk about the offensive line and then the defense tomorrow, but for now, uh, anything else in the tight ends or anything else in general? No, no, just uh, I'm so excited that uh, everybody gets to see this this Saturday. I think so much of the attention will be on the quarterbacks as we covered and uh, before. And uh, and what I'm looking for myself from that offensive skill group that we covered today is a consistency of performance, consistency. 
uh, minimize drops, minimize bad plays. I think we have enough good players to know, hey, the good plays are going to happen. We just got to minimize or, or reduce those bad plays, and that, that's what I'm kind of looking for on Saturday. Absolutely. I'm the same way. I'm looking for the same thing, and it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see how things are progressing under Tommy Reese. Um, and we'll, Like I said, we'll talk more about the defense tomorrow. A uh, lot to talk about on that side of the football as well. But for today, Jimmy, I appreciate you taking the time on this Monday to hop on here with me. And uh, we will talk again soon, buddy. Looking forward to tomorrow. That's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama on 3 show. We appreciate you guys listening. I'm your host, Clint Lamb.